Welcome to Gross Anatomy. We're live, Lauren. We're live with another episode of Gross Anatomy Podcast, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning movies, books, TV, and the world around us. And I am Lauren Taylor. And I'm Dr. Jason Cohen. So we were supposed to, so change of plans, we're pivoting tonight. So we're going to reschedule with Noor Siddiqui, right? Who's, right? who's the CEO and creator and founder of Orchid. We'll reschedule with that. What's fun is she reached out to us. It's always fun to have guests that we don't anticipate, you know, that, that I don't reach out to. I mean, for the most part, people have been banging down our doors, begging, begging wow. to be our guests. We have a lot of people that want to be on the show. We do, which is great. So, so we're going to reschedule with her, which I think will be a great interview. Oh, that'll be great. Very cool. And um, so are we live, Lauren? <laughs> we already did it. I'm not doing that intro again. No? I, your plan looks like it's thriving. Yeah, it is. It's Very growing nice. a little too, too big for it. Yeah, no, it's definitely growing, outgrowing itself a little bit. So what do we, so do you have certain things you want to talk about today? I have, I have a few things. Do you have anything you want to talk about? Um, not right off the top, but you seem more energetic, more awake. What's going on with you? I'm exhausted. That's, that's the bottom line. I can't tell at all. I'm just faking it. And you know what? That leads me to something that I actually want to discuss, which is imposter syndrome. Ooh, I like it. Right. You know, interestingly, it came up, you know, I run this pre-med program that actually may be changing or stopping or who knows, but interestingly, one of the last week's guests, or, or was it Monday's guest? I don't remember. Monday's guest is this impressive, fantastic dean uh, of um, at, at a local school. And one of the students said, how do you avoid feeling like you have imposter syndrome? Do you even know what that is? I'm sure you do, right? I mean, is it just what it sounds like? It's basically exactly what it sounds like, which is... Um, you know, feel not, not feeling like an imposter, not, you know, if you're like the head of something or whatever, how do you just, how do you feel like you belong? So, um, it's just a kind of cool topic. And, and I had mentioned, um, a woman and who, who now I'm blanking, who gives us great Ted talk, um, Amy Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y, Amy Cuddy. I, I, I used to watch a lot of Ted talks back when I was still going to the gym. Uh, that that's kind of what I would do at the gym, but now uh, that on Peloton, and you can't really watch TED Talks. But um, so she just talked about that you have to fake it till you make it a little bit, which I, which I, which I think is great advice for any and career. Absolutely for any career, and, and at any point in your career, you know, it doesn't really matter. I think there's always going to be points in your career, no matter what you're doing, where you're going to feel like, how the hell did I get here? These people know I know nothing or, you know, whatever it is, even with my pre-med program or whatever, you know, I interview these impressed today. We interviewed this impressive doctor who's a PhD, who's doing, he could definitely win a Nobel prize one day with the research he's doing. And I, and, and yet here I am getting the chance to interview him and just got to fake it a little bit, (laughs) you know? Yeah, no, but I, so what did you, um, so who asked the question about imposter syndrome? Somebody asked the Dean how he doesn't feel like he has imposter syndrome. I, you know, I think it was, a. I, I think it was a little bit about women in medicine, I think. And she was a, uh, pretty, uh, 
rare person as a female in that particular field. And I think that, so the question was, is, you know, how do you feel like you belong and how do you, you know, in a, in a man's world or in any world. And I think that's what kind of led to that topic specifically with her. And I, and I think Amy Cuddy talked about it too, about being a woman in that situation. And what was her like main point was that you just fake it till you make it. A little bit, fake it till you make it. And also, I think it's the same person who also talks about like these power poses. It kind of helps you feel like you have the power, even if you're nervous and pooping bricks, you know, doing a power pose, you know, and just things like that, which I thought are really good advice. Um, So that was just kind of an interesting, fun topic, especially since here we are as probably the most popular podcast on the planet. And every now and then we wonder about how do we avoid the whole imposter syndrome thing. Right, right. Um, no, that's good advice. I'll have to look up Amy Cuddy. Amy Cuddy, U-D-D-Y. She's probably going to beg to be on the podcast too. Well, you know what was, what's been in my head since we had our last guest, and people should check it out if they haven't listened to it, Katie Wilcox, another amazing, inspiring woman. But she said, because you were like, she, she seemed like a guest that should be have their own TED Talk. And you yeah. asked about that, and she said, well, that's, she kind of just called it bullshit because she said people pay for them. So my husband you did look it up. That. So, there is, so I was like, wait, Bill Gates paid for his own TED Talk? So there's like an actual TED Talk, like a forum, like an event. I think they have big speakers like Bill Gates who don't. Like the big TED conferences. Right. And then there are smaller ones, like we could host one where I live and we would just pay for it. And you might not know that it's not like an official like TED Talk forum. It's one that we paid for. But any of the TED Talks that I watch online. They're probably, a lot of them are paid for and you don't know it. Interesting. That's really interesting. Huh. Like you can host your own local one if you pay for it. Interesting. Should we host our own TED Talk? We basically are a TED Talk anyway, right? I think so. So you know what's kind of... Put the TED Talk logo and don't pay for it and get fined. Right, exactly. Get sued a gazillion dollars. Was there other stuff you wanted to talk about? Um, no, it's, I mean, April is National Hope Month. Uh, got any hopeful stories? Got any, or gross anatomy stories? Because those always pertain to our podcast. You know what, you know what I have, which is kind of interesting. So, um, a friend of mine, uh, who's a photojournalist, who's a photographer, fashion photographer, fashion model, and also a photographer and photo documentary i have no idea what the word is or the phrase is um he's a documentarian like a documentary filmmaker he's very into taking pictures and video of medical stuff okay so so he and i were in touch and it and i told him hey you know and he's in town he's always all over the place and i said hey you know i'm doing my podcast tonight you want to swing by so interestingly he actually did swing by so here is Sky. <laughs> so Sky, you know, unplanned. Sky's going to be our guest today, I think. Totally unplanned. But he, but he, you know, he's a photographer. So the the way we met. Wait, what do you call yourself though? I'd actually call myself a photojournalist. And but in terms of the like, what's the medical spin? Like, what do you call well, that? Um, no, anyway, basically, I shoot tumors and legends like uh, you know Dr. Cohen who try and save people's lives with uh, those kind of operations. He's the one, you know, that whole hernia video thing yeah, that we have. That's what I was thinking. That he did that, yeah. That was, but, that but, was amazing. They're like a name for like um, photomedical surgical photojournalist. Okay, 
or medical photojournalist, right? Or, or, or medical documentarian. Oh, there you I go. I shoot videos right. as well. Yeah. I captured this guy uh, singing Frank Sinatra at one point. And there you go. And there you, know, you go. I watched that, that hernia video of him. That's, I really like that. That was very good. That was thanks to him. I, and the whole thing was faked. It, it, we had a body dubby, double doing the surgery, and I just stood there, and, and he green shopped it, whatever you call it. So, so we actually met. He was taking, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm the thyroid guy also. So we actually met. Um, we actually met because uh, he was taking pictures of, our, of a thyroid tumor board that I was at. And, uh, and we just started talking. I came here to do video editing and maybe cast my hat into the acting ring. But you're getting, you're getting modeling gigs. Actually, our last guest last weekend, last week was uh, a, a model who's still Katie a model, Wilcox. Katie Wilcox, who mm-hmm. started her own agency. How many years ago now? Uh, she's been doing it for 10 years. Natural model management. That's pretty amazing. And their whole premise is, what's the name of their agency? Natural model management. Right. So because, the, the, you know, everyone isn't a twig, you know, and that's so her whole thing is let's get real beautiful people, you know, of all shapes and sizes, which is super cool. But you've been successful, at least lately, well, doing some modeling. Yes, yeah, right? um, my my partner, because like we're, we're, we're a duo of photojournalists, so we, we shoot everything pretty much together. So whether, you know, we're in the operating room, we're shooting you and your, your partners, we uh, shoot fashion and lifestyle stories together. Sometimes, especially, you know, since COVID has happened, a lot of brands have come to us and they wanted to basically have our 360 degree production service. So basically right, cool. sometimes we've stepped up to the plate and let one, the other one of us shoot the other person in the branded stuff. Oh, that's cool. So, for example, last weekend we were in, we were in Big Bear because we were given these two uh, quite neat um, little cubes that power laptops, power, um, you know, phones, iPads and whatnot. What was it called? What's the product? It's Togo Power, that they're called. So Togo they Power. Wanted, they Togo Power. We'll, a story we'll make sure to, to uh, tag Togo Power. T-O-G-O? Yeah. Okay. Togo Power, he uh, needs one in case he has to perform some sort of operation in the field. It's very useful. Power up your gear. But did you, I, I saw you, you're a big skier. Oh, I love skiing. And um, have you done, sh- were any of those shoots or those were just pleasure, you uh, just were there for fun skiing? Actually, the f- we, we just went to Jackson Hole uh, in November for the first time, which we, we which we loved. So we were there on assignment. We were shooting nine stories for Johnson & Johnson for Tylenol. Oh, so it wasn't skiing-based stuff. It was, one of the stories they wanted to have, Produced was Tylenol a skier. Now they didn't say whether the skier had fallen over and it was popping Tylenol. Right. All I know is, is that they wanted us to go out of state and shoot a story based around a skier. And uh, you well, were the skier, I, right? I, I stepped up to the plate. Was it video or just stills? It was it was stills for that one, but other other stories we did for them. So a couple of them were uh, video based as well. That's really so it's cool. fun. Like so, like even though like this, this crisis, you know, decimated a lot of people's livelihoods and, and work, and it did for us for almost all of last year towards the tail end we were able to like um, pick up work that we had always hoped to do which was basically um, lifestyle brands products that kind of thing but um, yeah but you did it so I, I've seen some of your videos you you did go down on a medical mission where did you say down to Honduras yeah and how did you get connected to that well I actually met a uh, an ER doctor in Brazil when I was backpacking about 10 years ago in the north of Brazil 
and we stayed in touch when I, I told him that um, I had moved to, to Los Angeles and he said, well, I come there a lot because one of my best friends is a liver surgeon. And anyway, uh, to cut long story short, after several several japes, escapades with this guy, uh, Ray, um, visiting his buddy and me with him, having a drink or two with his, his pals, I happened to say one night when I was asked what sort of photography I do, I was like, well, I do this, pretty much everything, but my, my passion is telling stories and I'd love to do a medical mission one day. And I don't think it, it actually registered with uh, this, this great doctor, uh, Dr. Anand, that, um, you know, I, uh, you know, was actually a photojournalist because as soon as I sent off samples of our work, he said, well, do you want to, do you want to come down and shoot fundraising pictures oh, that's awesome. for the next mission? Oh, so you did it for fundraising? Yeah, purposes. we went down pro bono just like they did with the charity. Right. That's and awesome. Documented everything for like a week. If we, if people wanted to see that, how is there, is it accessible to yes. anybody? Uh, I, I actually have a, a website spin-off from my main one, which is medicalphotojournalists.com. And there is actually a link to the Honduras uh, photojournalism story on the menu, as well as a link to the documentary recap that I made as a gift for the charity. So what is it? So what is it about it? it are you a secret wannabe doctor? Do you love blood and guts? Tell me the truth. Uh, is it just a, kind of an opportunity for you to venture into some cool field? Um, what what is it for you? Well, it's kind of a or combo. It, it's it's definitely a combo. Uh, when I was when I was about five or six in Britain, they had quite an archaic TV network. Wait, you're English? Yes, I know. <laughs> Most people think I'm Australian, and I disappoint them. Right, right. Yes, I'm. Uh, Sadly, yeah, I'm a proud Brit, but basically when I was about five or six, um, I would sometimes sneak up, turn on the television in my parents' living room, and they, they might be on the Open University TV station and operation. So I do, I do distinctly remember being fascinated about, about watching operations, and I did study biology uh, at university and college. One of my favorite modules was, I guess I'm a little bit weird here, was uh, dissection. Yeah. Um, well, that's anything pretty much. So yeah. I definitely do feel that I've kind of got a, a bit of a, of a love affair for surgery. Um, at one point, I, I wanted to be a vet, uh, but I also remember going to visit my dentist from 5 to 13, and he had all these amazing photos that he had taken around the world. Um, and I had National Geographic magazine. So I think I always aspired to like that kind of adventure. That adventure pursuit, capturing things. I just didn't know I wanted to be a photographer at the time. Um, but I, every time I go and, and watch an operation, I, I feel fascinated, and I want to shoot it like like it's never been shot before. Do like you like Scott? Do you like the uh, Do you like the gory stuff, or do, do you find it grosses you out a little bit? Or because the whole the whole name of this podcast is Gross Anatomy Podcast. I have to say, um, when I when I when I turned up in Honduras and I was given a pair of scrubs to put on and my jaw hit the floor and I actually said to um, to my friend Anand, I was like, what? I can go into the operating room. And he was like, well, unless you don't want to see any operations. So <laughs> at that point, they had to drag me out. I was literally in there 13-hour days shooting everything. When I got tired of shooting photos, I was just switching it on into video mode and just watching everything and in Tegucigalpa, they had like buckets attached to the wall with blood spewing everywhere behind me. And at one point, I was able to hold a 27-pound um, 
sarcoma tumor, I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. It was in the stomach area. And I yeah. was like, oh my Lord, this is amazing. This is covering all bases. I didn't even know I had all those bases I wanted covering. So I definitely do appreciate the gore. I like the, the, the gadgetry involved. Yeah. I like, you know, obviously trying to get imagery that, you know, medical personnel can use to hopefully, you know, um, better say, you know, better the... As a photographer, do you, do you find the grosser the better or not necessarily? Um, no, I actually just, I find it all fascinating. Cool. But to be fair, if you're going to do a, the world's first head transplant, I would definitely be volunteering. Right. Did you ever have a moment where you nearly passed out or did pass out or felt kind of uh, queasy? I think because of the way we were immersed uh, into an operating room situation without knowing we we're going to be in it. Um, there was no you time for my body, my brain to even start messing around with my, with my nausea or anything. I was just like fully immersed from the start. Uh, the only thing I would say is, is that I was very privileged to shoot a Whipple, which um, I knew was quite a big deal because I'd obviously watched House lots of episodes <laughs> yeah. talking about Whipple. Yep. Do you know who Whipple is? I know it was pioneered by Alan Whipple. Okay, but the surgery is called a pancreaticoduodenectomy. Isn't that when they chop off part of the, the head or the neck of the... The head of the pancreas. The pancreas, and it's usually to take out a tumor or something. Yeah, usually to take out a tumor in the head of the pancreas or in part of the duodenum. That's why they take out the head. And it's, it's kind of like the mother of all, of all, the godfather of all difficult general surgeries. Yeah, I have to say I was blown away when I saw this um, surgical... Um, Bits and bobs look like a construction site around this uh, this, this patient's stomach, and um, it gave birth to the to the pancreas. And yeah. I, it was about seven hours long, I think it was. But at the same time as that was going on, we got um, a message to go and document what was going on in the in the ward opposite. And apparently, it was a it was a rare ear, nose, and throat case where um, a patient had experimental uh, cutting edge chemotherapy to remove this huge tumor behind his mandible. Uh, and he had like a huge hole there, basically. That that actually kind of did make me feel like whoa when I saw it because I, I was always used to shooting, um, you know, documenting patients with you know the lower region. It was the first time I saw someone's someone's face having yeah. a problem. But after a couple of minutes of looking through the situation with my lens and trying to see what I needed to document and what looked impressive to me as a, as an artist. Um, I was fine. Yeah. Although when they stretched the skin from from below the chest uh, over, you know, to the hole, which was behind yeah. his ear, having initially removed this, the whole face off, I mean, it was like yeah. a movie. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't. I've never seen a face with the, the face peeled off. Yeah. But when they stretched it and sewed it all back up on again, he, he looks like yeah, it's pretty it amazing. Like amazing. Yeah. I can believe it. Yeah. And then I had to go back into the Whipple and, and see them chop bits and bobs out there. So it was a brilliant day for me. And at the end of the day, we were shooting uh, portraits of the CEO for an entertainment company. So like, you know, sometimes between our own personal work and work that we get through our agent, it can be really, really, um, you know, exciting. And then you did something on your own for COVID, right? Kind of just your own little oh, well, yeah, yeah, journaling. Journaling. Um, we were, we were the, my partner and I, we were the only, um, photographer, well, the only media team, um, allowed to go into St. Vincent Hospital that had been shut down, uh, at some point beginning of 2019, as the state was trying to, um, re-breathe life back into that hospital to create 
LA's first COVID surge hospital. So we were there documenting the build-up to that hospital being brought back online to, to treat um, or to take COVID, COVID surge patients. But it never happened, right? I think it did for like six or seven weeks. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Luckily, they, things kind of got yeah, under control. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was very interesting. But at the same time, that happened because we were shooting the Whipple and other operations. We were doing... Um, uh, we're doing informatic cancer documentaries and stills for patients who had who had possibly cancer and for them to watch and ease their anxiety. So we actually had been in the operating room uh, for 150 hours at that hospital. So to go back in whilst they try and bring it back online again was pretty pretty humbling. Yeah. I, was, I was sad originally anyway to hear that the hospital had been shut. Yeah, I'm going to change the topic. Have you ever been a paparazzi? Any desire to ever do that crap? No. I, I think um, I only believe in good karma, but I definitely wouldn't want to be one of those one of those uh, douchebags who just basically, you know, shoots other people's misfortunes. You know what I think would be a cool idea for like a a photo spread or or even a photo book? Someone taking stalking the paparazzi and taking pictures of the paparazzi, like you know, just a whole photo book of. Here's the paparazzi here. Here's it. Don't you think that could be kind of fun and cool? I, I would love to be the behind-the-scenes crew filming the reaction as they're getting papped by paps. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I would, would bring my bells. So I think that would be yeah, kind of I fun. think it takes a certain personality, though. I feel like those people would be harder to, like, um, bother. You know what I mean? Like, they have... No, I, don't, I wouldn't want to bother them. I just think it could be a cool book of taking pictures of the paparazzi. Speaking of Brits, speaking of Churchill, you watch The Crown. We watch The Crown, right? Did you watch The Crown? Dr. Cohen, you're all over the place. We, haven't, we can't finish it. Well, well, because of paparazzi. So do you remember how in The Crown, um, the paparazzi were always around, but it was the olden days. So they would actually, you know, stop and not take pictures or they would listen to the royals and, and really try to accommodate them. Do you, re- do you remember that a little bit? Like, like there was a fight that, that the queen and, and prince were having and when they were in Africa and the crown and the paparazzi were there and they came storming out. And they were going to start taking pictures, and then they stopped. Do you remember that scene? Uh, Lauren, do you remember it? I don't remember. Uh, I just thought it was interesting, you know, how different the paparazzi was then compared to now. I have, I did see something the other day that talked about the um, back in the, the studio era days, where where actors and so on were on contracts, and they they would they would have, I guess, the earliest paparazzi trying to like bust actors who are acting uh, or, or stars who are acting, you know, against the morals of the day. Right, right, right. Uh, You know, uh, and I, so I, I think in, 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 in a way it's always been there. It's always, yeah. I personally wouldn't want to do it. I just don't, I just don't think it's, it's good for, you know, if you believe in karma. Yeah. I mean, good for you if you make a living that way. You've got to put yeah. money on the table, but I'd rather just try and um, shoot something um, that helps people as opposed to make them feel rubbish about themselves. No, I totally agree. But some of those, like some people were getting like a million dollars for a photograph of like Britney Spears back in the day. It's just well, crazy to turn down. And uh, I just thought it was tragic, really. Yeah. Then, yeah. The, you know, the, the paparazzis who were interviewed were like, well, you know, it's a lot of money. Uh, but, and then she did like it at the time, you know, but then when, it, when she had health issues, she didn't like it so much. 
I mean, I think it's as you said, Lauren, you're either wired up that way or you're not. So Lauren and I want to do, or or I want to do um, a gross anatomy coffee book. He would probably be the guy we could do that with, don't you think? A coffee table book, I mean. It's like those fancy Tashin books, you know, and instead of looking at, you know, Audrey Hepburn or whatever, you look at disgusting surgeries or disgusting pictures, and we do, like, descriptions of what's going on. I think people would love it, don't you? just you say that, because it's my, it's my favorite shop at the Grove, and I walked past it this morning, and I said to my partner, one day. You're going to have a book there, or you're yeah. going to be in a book? Well, I might be in it shooting someone like you, but holding a huge, the world's largest tumor. There you go. It seems like you might already have enough material for a whole book. I'm sure you do. You never... Probably. I just have to take some work to go through everything. Well, both of you. Yes. Yeah. I have have a dream, and that is uh, to do a a show at some stage, kind of like a travel medical show, probably with with Jason, if he can get away from all his... Yeah, daughters. We've talked about it a lot. <laughs> yes, Jason. Yes, he wants to do a lot of things. If wait a minute. What did you just call me? Wait a minute. What did you just call me? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What did you just call me? That's the first time I've ever called him Jason. Yes. <laughs> Lauren has finally called me Jason. I've known you how many years now? Uh, three. At least. No, three. more than three. But anyways, I always call him Dr. Cohen because I just feel always like, calls, and I always say to her, "Call me Jason." And she never does. Wow. She always just calls me Dr. Cohen. But because of you, Scott, this is a big this is a big episode today. <laughs> this is a huge yeah. episode. I think we should title the episode Lauren calls Dr. Cohen Jason finally. I know, but you know what's gonna happen now is we're gonna have a guest and I'm gonna call them by their first name and then they're gonna think I'm rude. So oh. doctors in the show. Oh it's us. yeah. What is your favorite operation that you've ever partaken in? My favorite operation, even, even back in the in the student days, residency days. So I was on my trauma rotation, and I think I was a mid level, uh, uh, maybe another year or two senior, a mid level resident, and a patient came in having been stabbed. And we always say in trauma surgery that um, if a patient comes in dead, they may not always stay dead. And, and there are certain indications in trauma surgery for cracking open someone's chest and trying to save them. And one of the reasons, one of the indications is, is if someone has a penetrating injury, like a stab wound especially, to the chest or heart, and it initially is alive when the ambulance gets them and then loses their vital signs and kind of dies either in route or when they get to the ER, those are the patients it's rare if you could save any of those patients, but those are the patients theoretically that you might be able to save by cracking open their chest, going to their heart, fixing the problem. So sure enough, um, often it's just an exercise in trying to save these patients. Rarely you can. So patient came in, stabbed in the chest. Um, I think they lost their vitals in the ambulance and basically died, got in, got him into the ER, and I basically took the knife and cut across his whole left chest spread the ribs, and then um, got to the, I think there was a hole in the lung, so I quickly sutured the lung hole, or I don't remember. And then the heart is wrapped in something called the pericardium, a little sac that the heart's in, and there was a stab wound in the heart. Meanwhile, other people are doing other stuff too. Someone's putting in the breathing tube, someone's putting in fancy intravenuses, they're pouring blood in the guy, they're breathing for him. But I'm the one cracking the chest. 
I get to the heart. There's a hole in the heart. I have to suture the hole. In, so the, the heart's in my hand. I'm suturing the, the hole in the heart. People are pumping in. And then the, whole, the heart is now filled up with blood. They're transfusing blood into the patient. The heart is full. The whole, whole, hole is sewn. There's no leakage of blood, but it's not beating. So I had to start squeezing the heart, basically doing CPR, you know, heart compressions. Then you take the little cute paddles to try to shock the heart back up. And we got the heart going again. And it went on for what seemed like hours. We would lose the heartbeat, get it again, squeeze it, lose it, get it again. Finally, we got it long enough that we called the OR and said, we're coming to the OR to finish up everything. And But the heart still wasn't perfect. So I had to kind of stand on the stretcher. I'm drenched in blood with me still holding the heart, squeezing it. And, we, and they wheel me up, you know, with my hand in the guy's chest. We worked on him for a while. We eventually lost him, but I walked out of the OR, you know, totally, totally bloody. And that, that was when I knew I was really now a surgeon. I said, yeah, it would have been great. Yeah. It would have been great had we saved the patient, but uh, it still was, was pretty amazing. Yeah. So Sky just said his favorite show is ER. Is that your favorite show or favorite it's, doctor show? It's my favorite show. Interesting. But I, I didn't see it at school. I feel like, well, if I'd had a brain for, for you know, for that level of, of medicine uh, and I'd seen that show, I feel like I would have um, gravitated down your route. But shooting it is a phenomenal honor. So, I yeah. mean, I'm getting yeah. like an amazing ex- life experience that hardly anyone else will. Did we watch the ER pilot together? Um, no, we haven't done the ER pilot yet, I don't think. But that's so- not- but you are my favorite show too i've only watched the first eight seasons though i think it goes on for like 15 i've only seen the first eight seasons i've watched sporadically a bunch of it but not not enough i gave scrubs a go at one point that's pretty funny people love scrubs that's kind of in terms of when we poll our viewers people give right don't you feel like scrubs is probably scrubs is definitely like the number one we poll people but yeah i I thought it was funny, but I couldn't, like, watch too many seasons. Like, I watched, like, the first few seasons. I've got an idea. How about we try and reach out? So, me, I mean, I'm not even part of this podcast. <laughs> How about you guys try and get Our new out? co-host. Nice, guys. Nice to meet you. There you go. How about we reach out to old cast members from Scrubs, ER. I love especially it. Especially Dr. Surgeons and just, just chat, chat the banter. I love that. I like, especially the ones who, who kind of didn't like George Clooney. I doubt he's going to say, okay. I mean, he's been calling though, right, Lauren? I think he's been calling, but, but maybe some of the other ones might, you're right. We should try. Although we did have um, Mark Feuerstein, who's played a doctor on a show called Royal Pains. It was about a concierge doctor in the Hamptons. He, there were several seasons, at least four or five seasons. He was a guest. More than that, which is a successful show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, that is a good idea. We should reach out to some other TV doctors or movie doctors. TV doctors, I think. Well, I always wondered because you know I have you know I have done acting. Uh, I always I always thought it'd be really cool to be you know playing a doctor or surgeon in a show. But I always wondered if you're on a show for like you know a year, two, three, five, whatever, and you're you know you're obviously having to learn a pretty meaty script, probably written by Michael Crichton, who, as you know, is a doctor. Um, I wonder how many kind of think in the back of their minds, hmm, well, maybe I'll do a right. course of EMT or, you know, just go to medicine, yeah. medical school. Yeah. I bet some would, you know, do develop a fascination just like I did with a camera. For sure. 
And then there's the other way around. We talked about Ken Jong. Is that his last name? Who? Yeah. Right? The guy from um, the, hangover. the Hangover. He's a doctor who became a An nutty actor. actor. He yeah. shows his penis. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. a moment. What yeah. else? Talking about penises, um, I had a pretty mental uh, week or two ago in terms of work. Um, I did a fake hospital shoot for a pharmaceutical company that made uh, breast pump and breast milk. Oh. The next day, I was uh, booked to shoot a, a bris. Now, I didn't know what a bris was. I think you texted I do me after like that. Research, right. and the next thing I know, before breakfast, I was capturing the, another big moment on the little guy, little fellow's life. Um, a Jewish bris. Which is uh, the at, at day eight, usually it's day eight of a baby's life, uh, the baby boy, rather, is the circumcision, but it's a whole ceremony. And uh, always, for whatever reason, after the bris, you always eat bagels and locks, right? Do they yeah, have bagels and locks? That table was literally about five feet from this ginormous chair that I didn't know whether it was just part of Hasidic culture or whether it was brought in by the rabbi. It was about a six or seven feet tall chair. That's where the, the ceremony happened. The rabbi was a character. Right. And then it was the buffet. It was kind of humbling experience, but very unique. And that's one of the reasons why I love being a photographer, because I get a chance to step into someone else's world for yeah. a moment. And that's why I, would, I never wanted to be a, just like one type of photographer, headshot, fashion. I want to do it all. You don't want to just do weddings and bar mitzvahs? I have done bat mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs, it's, uh, the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. Where can people go? They can go to medicalphotojournalist.com to see all your to see uh, all your work. Medicalphotojournalists.com is okay. uh, medical side of things. Okay. Uh, and our actual company is called Unicorn Productions, LA Photography and Film. But Say it again. Unicorn Productions, LA Photography and Film. That is the actual name of our company. But of course, when I'm hobnobbing with surgeons and doctors, I didn't really want to say, hey, I'm Unicorn Productions LA. They might be like, sure, and you certainly can shoot my operation. Right. It kind of sounds like porn a little yeah, bit almost, almost right? Well, Don't especially you with my name. Right. Exactly. They get confused. I'm not really uh, active so much on Instagram. Um, I should take lessons from you guys because um, I know it's important. But our Instagram is Unicorn Productions LA. I do have um, another one for my my more my I wouldn't say previous life, but when I was doing more acting and I had done a bit of hunting uh, around on camera, like for brands. Uh, Sky Bliss loves adventure. Dennis Hopper, he he was an actor and a photographer, very yeah. very fine photographer. So. I, Sometimes when I feel myself blushing, um, yeah, I do that to You myself. think of yourself as Dennis Hopper from Apocalypse Now. Uh, well, you know, I don't want to blow my trumpet, but... <laughs> yeah, right. Apocalypse Now, it's one of my favorite films. It's good stuff. Do you think my kids would like it? I, I mean, if they like great films. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of dark and long, right? Talking about dark and long. The Deer Hunter, I saw that yeah. for the first time. Wow. Well, yeah, Christopher Walken, yeah, that stays with you. Yeah, and I don't think I, I would want my kids to watch that until they're well into their 20s, right? It's just too disturbing. The Russian roulette stuff. Yeah, I, I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah, 
It was really disturbing, but fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. I don't know. I think they can handle it, but it's up to you. I don't know. You need to follow up with a comedy like The Hangover afterwards just to lift the spirits. No, we got to end on a very serious song. Note. But it is, <laughs> but it is, it is hope month, right? It is. So what are you hopeful for? What are we, what do you want to say about that? You know, I hate to say, you know, we're in COVID. And I, and I think the reality of this is that we just keep learning. Things keep changing. People are scared now. So it's, I think it's going to take a real long time, if at all, for, for things to kind of go back to normal. I'm, I'm not, I think this just might be the new normal, which is, which is bizarre. And, and I'm, st- I'm staying on a down moment. Where's the hope? Guy, what do you got for us? You think things are starting to become more normal? What are you seeing? I sense more a feeling of hope in America, and I'm very grateful that this is my home. Because back in Europe, in Britain, they seem to be in an internal state of paranoia about opening up, locking down, opening up, locking down, and it's really taken a toll. They're not blessed with 85-degree weather like for 11 and a half months of the year. It's a different ballgame over there. So here I feel a lot of hope. And I want my my uh, my international friends and family to um, to also feel it soon sooner the, sooner the better. Amen. Lauren, do you have any final words of hope or thoughts? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I do. I'm getting my vaccine. I didn't think I'd be able to get it till September hey. in, in California because I mean we're the most populous state. But I'm I'm scheduled already. When is your vaccine? Friday. Hey, all right. Very one dose exciting. or two? What? One dose or two? Uh, one. Just the, it's the five. No, 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 no. It's two. Sorry. It's not the one that they pause for blood clots. It's right. Pfizer. Right. Yeah. Cool. Is that. your hubby going too? Yeah, he's going too. So we're good. Um, but Sky, I would love to have you on again where we can like be more structured. Like maybe we could just talk about some of your medical missions, like mental health, like. Yeah, I have a plan. Uh, I do like being thrown in the deep end, especially by Jason. I, know. Um, I hope I hope uh, we get a chance to meet in person yes. as well as virtually again. But absolutely, um, whenever you know. Yeah, and then we can give. I'll give you the Zoom link, and I think the audio will be better too. This is a fun one, but I would like to have like a more informative. It can still be fun. Yeah, and it can still be fun. Maybe uh, I mean. I talk a lot. What can I say? Apologies. I mean, I literally go off in multiple tangents like Jason. So I didn't want to take away any of this firepower by just going No, you guys are perfect. I'm just, I, I don't like being like unprepared. I'm like, oh, I wish I had, I can now think of all these questions I want to ask you. So I'd like to do another one. Cool. Sure. It's absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks for the spontaneity, gross anatomy podcast. I think uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that our guest had to cancel and reschedule. This was fun. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks, God bless. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.